the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I love to just play music with other people. The way I look at this is if people in the act of listening to me or watch me play somewhere, if they forget about things that are bothering them for a while, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I've done something good for the world. The Wisconsin Music Podcast. Here to introduce you to the great musicians and music businesses and organizations of Wisconsin. Every week, Wisconsin Music Podcast will be bringing you great information on what's happening in the Wisconsin music world. For our music-loving listeners, we'll bring you music that you haven't even heard of yet from unique and talented artists and hear about their journey so far. You'll either hear live performances of their songs or songs from their selected discography. For our musicians out there wondering what they can do to further their recognition, we'll be calling upon Wisconsin music businesses and organizations to enlighten you on what they're doing to help further your music journey. And now, here's your host, Zach Fell. Welcome to the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Why don't you kind of introduce yourself to the listeners and kind of give us your background growing up and getting into music. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Um, So my name is Tom Drawn, and it's spelled funny. It's D-R-A-U-G-H-O-N. It looks like dragon or something, but it's just pronounced drawn. Trying to figure out where that comes from. Probably British Isles somewhere, maybe Ireland. Who knows? But... uh, my father's side of the family and mothers too, both were um, in Eastern North Carolina back in the late 16, early 1700s. So it's kind of hard to trace from there. But um, yeah, so I grew up in a, in a family down in, in uh, uh, the Southern states, you know, North, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia. We moved around a bit. Uh, my dad was uh, actually, a, he was a great self-taught jazz musician Born in 1917, he just had that hot club jazz in his blood and um, played piano all the time. I had two older brothers and an older sister, uh, and there was just a lot of music in the house. And um, there was a ukulele, basically. It's uh, really a banjo uke, and I actually have it. Um, I I inherited it. Uh, And uh, so it's a little tiny banjo strung like a ukulele, and my dad would strum chords on that and both my brothers strummed chords on it. And when I was about four and a half years old, I just really wanted to learn how to do that. Willie Johnson, how to do it. And so finally got somebody to show me a chord on, on that thing. And then I just started, um, I just, I've always loved music. I just started playing ukulele and and singing. One of my earliest memories actually is singing uh, with my sister on a carport in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, when I was about three and a half years old, probably. Wow. And um, then, you know, by the time I got into first grade, um, we, you know, my favorite class was singing class. Um, And um, I just, you know, that was the highlight of my day. And I loved to sing. And uh, then I started just playing all the standard little, you know, row, row, row your boat. And (laughs) I've been working on the railroad and things like that, you know, just for my own enjoyment. Totally. And um, then, okay. So I've got two older brothers and an older sister and they all were really great music mentors for me. And they introduced me to a lot of great stuff. Well, my sister is the oldest. She's 11 years older than me. Um, And uh, when I was about six years old, now this was February, 1964, uh, when the Beatles went uh, and hit the Ed Sullivan show and took the country by storm and changed the world. Um, my sister was totally caught up in Beatlemania. And so she had that on her radar. She was going to watch it. I was allowed to stay up and watch with her. And the next day I was trying to play, I want to hold your hand on the ukulele. You know, it kind of just went from there. I totally loved the Beatles. I wanted to join the group. I finally got a guitar as a Christmas present uh, when I was in the third grade, eight years old. And uh, my dad helped me tune it and showed me a couple of pointers and a little self-instruction book that came with it. And I just went from there. Um, Self-taught guitarist for the most part, uh, learning by ear. And uh, I didn't realize it then. In fact, I didn't even know about it until um, I actually got into Uh, high school and college, 
but uh, I have perfect pitch. And so I have sort of a gift of being able to tell what key things are in and, you know, when somebody's playing a C chord or a D chord. And so I'm, I'm sure that helped, but uh, I proceeded to teach myself from recordings by ear listening to uh, 45 records on the stereo, the home stereo, yeah. as many Beatles songs as I, I could. And then uh, my two older brothers got sick of listening to me try to play Beatles songs. So they brought me a Rolling <laughs> Stones songbook. And uh, like I said, I, I had these great music mentors. They were always bringing great music home, uh, 45 records uh, and albums and uh, very eclectic. You know, I got my uh, sister was um, listening to a huge hodgepodge of stuff that was on popular radio. Um, my oldest brother would uh, bring home things like the Rolling Stones, and then he'd turn around and bring home a Beethoven album, you know. <laughs> and there was everything in, in between. My, uh, my other brother introduced me to uh, the, the James Gang and Grand Funk Railroad, and there was just all this great early rock and roll happening. Uh, and I was still just in grade school and, and kind of soaking it all in and uh, trying to figure it out just from recordings. And didn't have the benefit of YouTube and, and online tab and all those things. Right, right. So, um, and of course, you know, I'm sure I, I know I made lots of mistakes and, and lots kind of garnered lots of bad habits. Um, and even to this day, sometimes I'll revisit something when I'm trying to show a student how to play something and I'll go, oh my gosh, I was playing that wrong all these years. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so that's kind of where my background comes from. And um, the other thing, like I said, I've, I've always loved to sing. And so I was pretty much always in any kind of a choir that you could have in school and uh, singing all the kinds of choir music that choirs sing, predominantly classical music or sacred music, things like that. It was all good. Um, you know, I love singing Paul McCartney high, high notes, and I love singing, you know, jazz Bach when I get the chance to do it. So um, there was all that going on. And, uh, you know, so, it, so I've got this varied background of all sorts of different musical things. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely sounds like you pull, you're pulling from a lot of different inspirations. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, like um, my sister and my oldest brother, uh, when I was in the 10th grade, said, hey, we got tickets and we're going to take you to see the Rolling Stones. So this was at Charlotte, North Carolina Coliseum. It was 1972. They had just finished their album Exile on Main Street. And it was that tour. And that totally blew my doors off. It was just an amazing concert. And yeah. then uh, the next year, my other brother, the younger one, he, they were both going to this college just north of Charlotte called Davidson College, kind of a prestigious little almost Ivy League school down there. And so he was living there and he, he called up and I'm three hours away. He said, I've got you a bus ticket and I've got tickets and we're going to go see Bob Dylan and the band. Oh, wow. So that's what I got to do that next year. And then he brought several pivotal albums home for me when he would come back home to visit one was an album by Leo Kotke, who's uh -huh. a jaw-dropping, finger-picking guitar player from the Twin Cities area. Still one of my heroes. Then others, uh, one was an album by a guy named, well, it was al an album by a group called The Pentangle, which was a British folk rock group in the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, two amazing guitar players in there, John Renborn and Bert Jansch, and then to totally do something different, he, the next time he came, he brought home an album uh, by the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band where they had gotten together with their heroes of bluegrass music, Earl Scruggs and, and um, people like that. And they did a three album set of bluegrass and early country music called Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Hmm. And that caused me to embark on a, like, uh, a journey to find albums by these other people. And living in this town, Florence, South Carolina, is about an hour west of Myrtle Beach. It's kind of in the middle of the coastal plain. There's not, or at least there wasn't when I was there, a lot happening. 
there was a music store, but they didn't have these albums. And so I had to go in special order uh, albums by Doc Watson and people like that. And I'm sure my high school compatriots thought I was really weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was listening to the popular music on the radio, you know, Ozark Mountain, Daredevils and Led Zeppelin and, and, uh, and everything, you know, that there was. In fact, I even got a job as a radio DJ when I was in the 12th grade and got to spend 45 records on a little 1,000-watt AM radio station. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, so all these, like, various influences happened. And uh, then Northland College here in Ashland, Wisconsin, sent me a letter, and I ended up coming up here to go to college and uh, was um, – you know, introduced to a lot of other really cool music up here. I used to walk around through the dorm and people would be playing all sorts of uh, things I never would have heard otherwise, you know, on their stereo systems. And um, then in the chorus, the choir at Northland College, well, a couple of things happened. One was doing some really high-level classical music, but uh, there was a, a men's chorus at Northland called the Northland College Voyageurs. The fellow who had come to direct the, those choirs just um, a few years before I got here decided that, well, instead of standing around in tuxedos or tweed jackets and singing Broadway musical songs, let's dress like actual French Canadian voyageurs and sing French Canadian voyageur songs. Huh. So started doing that in 1975 and um, you know just uh, and I still do that to this day so that's that's part of uh, part of it so a really eclectic musical heritage here you have done a lot in not just in one genre but in multiple genres yeah and and it's all good and sometimes I think the problem for me is I'm too eclectic <laughs> You know, it's like, I, I don't know if, if uh, just average people can really, you know, follow and, and be interested in all those different varied things, you know. But uh, interesting, you know, I, I ended up being, a, I teach guitar um, for a lot of, you know, private pe uh, lessons and things, but also right. for Northland College, I've been teaching as their main guitar instructor since about 1993. I love working with the students there because, um, I say, hey, what do you want to learn? And we go to YouTube and they show me really cool music that otherwise I never would find on my own. So, you know, it's, that's, it's all good. Yeah. Good stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm a high school band director. Pleasure to be able to teach kids and see them grow as musicians. Absolutely, it is. And uh, I love when uh, I've been working with somebody and they've been maybe struggling with something and then they have that aha moment. In right. Their head. You know, it just it makes me smile every time that mm -hmm. happens. But you also have this website. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your the artistry? I've always kind of wanted to be a recording artist. OK. Uh, you know, back in the late 1970s, early 80s, I had a college band. It started out as a band called Wild Oats. We actually toured all over Wisconsin and uh, parts of Michigan and Minnesota, even uh, down in, in northern Illinois, and uh, played primarily, you know, acoustic, sort of bluegrassy and even some Celtic music. And then, um, you know, things kind of all fell apart like bands like that do, and we all went our separate ways, and I ended up moving back down to the Carolinas to be closer to my family. I lived in Asheville, North Carolina for almost seven years. Okay. And I did another radio job down there. I worked for public radio uh, as a volunteer program host on Blue Ridge Public Radio, WCQS. And every Saturday morning, I had a four-hour program, and I basically lived to have people come on and do live interviews like we're doing now and play music live if they would. You know, I was really lucky to have some amazing people come through, like Corky Siegel came through and played harmonica for uh, my son was about five years old, just sat and played harmonica for him on the air for a while. And, uh, you know, Tom Chapin, uh, Harry mm -hmm. Chapin's brother, came and did an interview, a really uh, cool thing to be able to do. And then um, I, I worked on my own recording. I had never been able to actually 
get a band together in a studio before that time. There was a, a really great recording engineer. He's still down there. His name is Stephen Heller. He's worked with people like Bela Fleck and Doc Watson, Sam Bush, and other people like that. Okay. And I was able to start a recording in his studio and uh, kind of crank out my first ever studio album. And I titled it mm. after the band, uh, the name of my mm. previous college band, uh, started out as Wild Oats and went through some other permutations and then ended up being Second Wind. So I called the album Second Wind, and that's on the, the, the Heart of the Street music website. Before we talk about moving up here again, is there a song that you'd want to play off of that album? Uh, you know what? There is a song I could play off of that album. Would you like me to do it live or would you like to play it off the album? I'm going to leave that up to you. Your decision. Okay, well, if, if you want to do something live, I'll do something different later. But uh, off of the Second Wind album, there is a the second cut. It's called Solstice, and it's an instrumental guitar piece okay. that I thought up with a friend who uh, lived in Ashland uh, after I moved, uh, or before I moved away, he lived in Ashland um, back in the uh, early 1980s. We thought this tune-up together. His name is Gary Bolstead. Gary, this goes out to you in New Zealand, and it's called Solstice. Back up here, I moved back up up to um, Ashland in the early 1990s. You know, uh, I left Ashland in May of 1984 to go back down to the Carolinas. That was the year that basically Lake Superior Big Top Chautauqua got started. Oh, okay. Uh, Warren Nelson and Betty Ferris wrote a bicentennial show for Washburn, Wisconsin. It was having its centennial in 1983. And I helped with the staging of that show. It was called Souvenir Views. And uh, I actually did uh, recording um, for them and, and ran the, the mixing console. 
then I left and came back up in 1990. By the time I came back, they had actually started, that grew out of the souvenir views into what became the tent, became Lake Superior Big Top Chautauqua. So uh, another one of the musicians who was in the uh, Blue Canvas Orchestra and, and who had been involved in that first recording that I helped do, uh, Bruce Bowers, amazing violin player, one of the best improvisers I've ever been next to just uh, jaw-dropping, amazing, and sadly no longer with us, another one of the many victims of cancer that I have uh, known here. Yeah. But uh, he was great, and uh, he had gotten interested in Celtic music, Irish and Scottish and British Isles, you know, traditional music, and he had been working with electronic sequencers. He was also an amazing electronic designer, engineer, but his sequencers oftentimes would get freaked out by uh, electrical, you know, surges or lightning or something like that, and they wouldn't pop with them. So we wanted to do an actual acoustic live human band to do some Irish music. And so uh, I was sort of recruited to be the guitar player in this band. We ended up, uh, it was initially called uh, the Way Up North Instant Neo Post-Traditional Celtic Band. Whoa. (laughs) But... (laughs) Um, after a, an initial performance at Big Top Chautauqua, uh, we decided to scale down a little bit. And uh, we initially had about seven or eight people in the show. We scaled down to four. And I was one of those and uh, called ourselves Way Up North. And uh, we embarked on playing music uh, in the region and doing a recording and Bruce was a, an amazing recording engineer. I had helped him build a studio where we actually recorded this album called Way Up North. And uh, you can click a link on the main page for Heartistry Music and, and see that album. Um, that happened. And then, you know, as bands do, um, they just sort of uh, blow apart sometimes or fade away. Yeah. So after about five years, that happened with Way Up North. And uh, so I was looking for new directions. One of the new directions was to sing more with a group of people that had been in my old Voyagers group in college. And we started singing uh, just on our own and calling ourselves Les Fils du Voyageur, which means the Sons of the Voyageur. And the other thing I wanted to do so I had the idea to do uh, an album of uh, Appalachian old time music for um, kind of marketed towards kids, but that was not dumbed down for kids so that um, adults would enjoy listening to it as much as, as anybody else. And um, I put together an album called Kids on the Mountain, uh, which is also you'll see on the website. Mm-hmm. And Uh, That album, uh, what I did was I took tunes that I loved to play down when I was down in in the mountains of North Carolina. I have some great musician friends down there that I played with and music that we would like to play together. And I tried to record it as well as possible and um, put the energy into it that I remembered from down there. And then I uh, got uh, kids to actually say little dialogues to introduce each tune. And the kids are supposed to be kids that are back in the 1800s, kind of kind of between the Civil War and the turn of the century, you know, growing up in the, in the mountains down there without electricity, without running water, without refrigerators, and what life is back, like back. Mm-hmm. Then uh, those little dialogues introduce each song on there. Never knew how to court a maid Turned their backs, hide their faces Sight of a pretty girl made them afraid 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 Didn't know where to put their feet Didn't know where to put their feet They didn't know where to put their feet Didn't know where to put their feet They didn't know where to put their feet feet. 
dogs who went astray Tore their clothes, scratched their faces Didn't get home till the break of day Didn't get home till the break of day They didn't get home till the break of day Didn't get home till the break of day They didn't get home till the break of day Went to the city riding in a Chevrolet. They came home broke in a walk and had no money for to pay their way. 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 started with that and then my son um who ended up he he more or less is a self-taught amazing coder website builder programmer and um he was still in high school at the time and he built me a website when i did the way up north recording i have an uh, an original guitar tune on there called the big top jig and um i had to you know, register a name with a copyright agency for copyright purposes. So I went to BMI. They didn't have internet forms to fill out back in 1994. Mm -hmm. So um, I just had to choose five different publishing company names and uh, hope that I got one of them if nobody else had already gotten it. So um my first choice would have been Second Wind Music, but somebody else already had that. The second choice was Heartistry Music, which I just thought up four names, you know, just on the fly. Yeah. And uh, the third one was Howlin' Mouse Music, kind of an homage to Howlin' Wolf. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if I had not gotten Heartistry, it would have been Howlin' Mouse Music. Gotcha. So that's where the Heartistry Music website came from. Mm. And it started with just my Kids on the Mountain album. And then I started thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of great musicians up here around Lake Superior. Maybe I can help some other people out along the way and uh, you know, asked people if they wanted to join my website. And so for quite a while, I had other local artists having their products listed and having links and things like that. Um, one by one, those people chose to all develop their own websites. And um, then, uh, so what I decided to do was, well, see if I could actually start a label and, you know, help some other people out that way. So um, I started looking for other people in the area that I could record. I mean, I've always loved, you know, working with sound and uh, I like recording technology. I've been messing around with it since I was in grade school. I learned a lot about recording technology when I worked at the radio station in Washburn in uh, 1983 and 84. It had amazing equipment. And so I started doing my own recording and um, here I go. I'm still working on it. Excellent. I had uh, a, a physical studio location back in the uh, early to mid 2000s. Right now, I don't actually have a dedicated studio space, but I still do recordings for people. And um, I typically just go on location and work with the sounds that are happening in the rooms where, yeah. you know, and it's amazing what you can do when you, when you use your ears. Yes. George Martin, the great uh, producer for the Beatles uh, actually uh, published a book called All You Need Is Ears. I remember seeing that coming out. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's great read. So it's been a while since I've actually done a recording for myself. And so I'm going to embark on another one fairly soon. Um, I started a bluegrass band several years ago called Truegrass. And uh, we um, are just having a great time. It's just a blast playing with these people. And uh, I, I want to do a recording just so that it's, uh, it's cataloged, so the sounds don't get lost. There's yeah. a little bit of a legacy there, you know, so um, that's the main reason. I mean, it's like any more these days, like trying to make money selling recordings and anything like that is just not happening very much right now. No, not at all. Yeah. Um, as I'm perusing through through this website of yours, I see that you did a soundtrack for a PBS documentary called Uncharted Territory. 
How did you get involved with that? Well, interesting. That was a connection through the Voyageur music. You know, of course, you know, for anybody that listens to this that may not know what a Voyageur is, uh, they were French Canadian canoe paddlers who worked during the fur trade era, paddling huge birch bark uh, canoes uh, through the Great Lakes and through the river systems of the interior of the continent here to um, get together with and trade with Native American people. They would trade things like blankets and knives and kettles and other stuff, other trade goods for furs, particularly beaver furs, which were really valuable in the late 17 and early 1800s uh, for making uh, fur felt hats. If you look at uh, some of these old paintings of like the Dutch masters and they've got these big hats on, well, those were made out of beaver fur felt and they cost as much as an average worker's yearly income to buy one of those things. So the fur trade was really lucrative for these companies that got into it. And uh, then, like I said, we uh, uh, sang these songs in a, in a group that I was in in college. And then in 1997, um, friends of mine that had been in that group um, our director who did the uh, arrangements had passed away in 1993. We started getting together and just revisiting singing these things, got permission from his widow to actually sing the arrangements and then started going and performing at festivals. We started recording them and we've done two kind of full CDs of songs of the Voyageurs. And uh, he also arranged uh, songs from the late 18, early 1900s from Lumberjack camps. We sing Lumberjack songs. We sing at the uh, Lumberjack World Championships in Hayward. We do things every just, just about every year. So I was contacted by uh, KSPS um, out there in Washington uh, because they were looking for music from the fur trade era because this uncharted territory is about David Thompson who was a giant of an explorer. I mean, you think about, um, you know, Daniel Boone, Davy Crockett, people like that. You know, he, he was one of those guys. Uh, he basically beat Lewis and Clark out to the Pacific Northwest and even had um, land stakes claiming things for his fur trade company, the Northwest Company, before they got there. So um, he uh, actually single-handedly mapped probably two thirds of Canada. So they were looking for songs that would fit with a documentary about him and the Voyager thing came up. And so they found the Heartistry website, lo and behold, and they sent me a, an email and it went from there. So uh, they used some of our Voyager song recordings on there. And then also um, I just, you know, conferred with the person putting the documentary together and uh, they said, well, you know, I need something that sounds kind of like this. And I said, okay, um, how about this? And I would make a recording of, um, you know, some tune from the time period or maybe an instrumental piece that I thought fit. And so, yeah, they included um, a lot of music on that uh, um, uncharted territory. And then uh, I was really gratified that they actually called me back for a second one. They did um, a second documentary about... Um, you know, uh, women and suffrage in uh, Washington state back in the mid 1800s. And um, so I did some music for that one as well. Excellent. So obviously you, it's all, it's all you do is music. You know, you're teaching, you're writing, you're, looks like you're also, uh, people send you music. You can also write it out for them if need be. Right. Yes. Transcribing. So, you know, like I said, I've got perfect pitch. And I started actually seriously writing music down on paper when I was in college and started doing vocal arrangements for my uh, college band. And it kind of went from there. Now um, I can listen to, um, you know, say that you're a singer, songwriter, guitar player, and you have a song and you need it written out. Well, you can send me a CD and I can actually just notate it for you. Um, just, I listen to it and then just write it down. Yeah. And, so I've been doing that um, really uh, fairly consistently since the early 2000s. Talking about your perfect pitch, I've known other people that have that, and some find it as a blessing, some find it as a curse. 
How do you feel about it? Well, thank you for asking. It's interesting because it can be a curse uh, depending on how you look at it. Uh, it's definitely a blessing when it looks, when it comes to things like um, listening to a recording and knowing what key it's in and knowing what chords people are playing and stuff. Um, I just, that's almost instantaneous for me. And I just really appreciate that I have that ability. Um, and then tuning, another thing I've been doing for a long time, of course, since I was five years old, is tuning instruments. And when I was a um, senior in college, I started tuning pianos. And uh, that is something that I still do to this day. Um, when I first moved to Asheville in the 80s, my intent was to be a career piano tuner and technician. And I still uh, do a lot of that. I'm the primary piano tuner uh, technician for Chautauqua, for instance. And um, so I've, I've done some um, high level tuning for people like even Lyle Lovett and his large band and other people like that, Judy Collins. And uh, tuning is an interesting thing because things have to be in tune with themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on a theoretically perfect pitch like a equals 440 vibrations per second. If other people are not tuned to that, you are out of tune. Right. And, you know, if with my perfect pitch, you know, it used to drive me crazy in choirs. Um, people tend to singing in choirs. It just happens. People drift flat a lot. And you start out on a pitch like G. And then by the time you get to the end of the song, you're in G flat. Mm -hmm. It would drive me crazy. And I would like to stand my ground and try to hope that other people would follow along with me. But no, that just doesn't happen. People don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I started finally realizing, well, it's better to be in tune with everybody else than to be correct. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. So it's all relative. Tuning is all relative. And in fact, you know, pitch, you know, standard pitch has varied throughout the ages and box time. Uh, an A would be different in different parts of Europe and probably where Bach lived, he was tuning to an A that was about 416 vibrations per second. Middle 1800s when people were designing pianos and, and lots of different piano innovation going on and people trying lots of different things. Pitch varied wildly from 430 vibrations per second up to 465. Now uh, there's been kind of finally in about 1916, at least in the United States, piano designers settled on uh, certain string tensions and things like that that would make it to where you tune pianos to where the A above middle C is 440 vibrations per second. And that is what, quote, standard pitches. But it has not always been that way. That's a relatively no. recent development. It's ever changing, it seems. Like it fluctuates depending on where you are. Right. And, you know, in, in the uh, Way Up North Band, which I talked about earlier, one of the instruments was uh, a bagpipe player from uh, the Twin Cities. His name is Dick Hensold. And he plays a small set of bagpipes that comes from just south of the Scottish border. They're called Northumbrian small pipes. And because of Dick, I learned more about bagpipes than I ever thought there was to know. And it turns out, if you think of the Scottish bagpipes, the Highland pipes, they are pitched in B flat these days. But back in the 1700s, they were pitched in A. What happens is with violins and even uh, woodwind instruments, people want to raise the pitch because they get brighter, louder sounds. Mm -hmm. That's the whole deal. Right. That happens. I kind of want to go back to when you were talking about when you saw the Beatles, your dad being a jazz musician, you know, some jazz musicians back then were like, oh, the music world is over and others embraced it. So what was it like in your house? I mean, it kind of seemed like your dad was at least embracing it because you were loving it. Yeah, and he did uh, to a point. Um, I think he had a little bit of rebelling against it, but then also he wanted to be supportive. In fact, um, you know, he would cut our hair in the family instead of sending us to a barber shop, and so uh, he did a beetle haircut for me when I was in the fourth grade. You know, so he definitely was supportive in that way. When uh, you know, I would try to play music with him periodically. He would try to play Beatles songs, but they tended to be in keys that aren't that friendly for piano players sometimes. So then, as I got into high school, I would start trying to play more of the things that he 
liked some of the more, uh, you know, jazz standard type things. Mm-hmm. And they were not in guitar friendly keys. <laughs> but thank God for capos. Yes. Use those things and, and play with other people. So he, he was pretty supportive in that way. Um, and my mom was too, amazingly enough. Uh, she would, you know, we'd be sitting in front of this old, like, kind of piece of furniture home stereo listening to something by the Rolling Stones and I couldn't understand what they were singing and she'd try to help me figure it out. <laughs> so, so there was all that support there. Good. It was all good. Excellent. It, it's good that, you know, when you know, parents, especially the ones that are dedicating to a certain genre are open enough to allow their children to go outside that genre that they're focused on. Yeah. It's, I'm really happy that I had that in my family. It was wonderful. Let's talk about the local music scene pre-COVID. Were you playing out live or were you focused on other things? Oh, yeah. Good question. So pre-COVID, like I said, I started this bluegrass band and uh, we're called Truegrass Trio at this point. It's gone through various permutations. There is a core group of three of us that can always get together and play. Then there are other people who join us depending on their availability and where we're playing. The True Grass Trio was definitely doing things like there is an organization in Minnesota called the Minnesota Bluegrass and Old Time Music Association, or MBOTMA, Mabatma. The banjo player in my band was the executive director for that organization for 30 years. What they do is they produce festivals in Minnesota throughout the year. So we would perform in uh, early June at their homegrown kickoff festival, for instance. Or there's a, a winter bluegrass weekend in March that we would do. We perform wherever we can mm-hmm. get a gig, basically. And right. I like to perform in theaters when possible for sit, uh, seated audiences. So we've performed for Ontonagon Theater for Performing Arts in Ontonagon, Michigan. Then uh, Lake Superior, Big Top, Chautauqua. We've been there a couple of times. Uh, there are other places just local to the Ashland Lake Superior area up here that have music. One is called the Sawmill Saloon in Seeley, Wisconsin, which is just north of Hayward, which is just a great place. If you ever get up to this area, you got to go to the Sawmill Saloon. They've got a great coffee house called Moose Lips. They have a really nice little concert area inside their building. And they also have a big outdoor concert area in back. So what happened when COVID hit was everybody shut down for a while. Mm-hmm. And then when the weather started getting conducive to being outside in May, people started wanting to do some socially distanced concerts outdoors if they could. And uh, so pre-COVID, we, we did whatever we could. Um, Post-COVID, we primarily played um, at the Sawmill Saloon. And we did that on Wednesday afternoons for, you know, late June and July and August and even early September. Now you don't want to be outside playing music right now. You don't even want to be outside listening to it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, so uh, pre-COVID, that was the main thing that I was doing there. Then, uh, but there are lots of other great musicians that are in this Lake Superior region right here. I think people who are musical artists, like other artists, are attracted by the scenic beauty of the area. Mm-hmm. And they end up here. Lake Superior is an amazing place. So there's some amazing musicians who have moved here. They tend to be involved with uh, Big Top Chautauqua. Not always, but, but they do you know, tend to be there. And um, I get to play music with them sometimes. There's Molly Stoddard, who was, uh, well, actually, the fellow who developed the Voyageurs group when I was in college, the music professor, his name was Bill Otis. Uh, His daughter, Molly, became a country star uh, in the 90s. She was Molly and the Haymakers. And uh, I played music with Molly as a a maker. And uh, Molly also plays with my Truegrass band, Uh, playing mandolin and singing lead vocals on some songs. Then there's another fellow who grew up in the area, Randy Sabine, amazing jazz violin player. Uh, He he can play any style of music he wants to. He's just an amazing player. And he has helped develop uh, violin education programs uh, across the country, Uh, still lives in the area. And so Randy uh, plays violin with us periodically whenever he happens to be available. 
So it's great to be able to get together with some of these other musicians. Uh, there's Ed Willett and Cheryl Leah had a band uh, called Chance. They did an album that had a song on it called Toy Cows in Africa that was featured on uh, an episode of Northern, Northern Exposure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, they, um, and they just live right up here in the area. They just, it's amazing to have people of that caliber here. He's one of the music directors for the tent. It's just great to be able to get together with these people and make music with them and even do recordings with them when possible. And yeah, uh, I hear you strumming your guitar in the background there. Do you want to perform a song for the listeners? Sure, I could do that. So um, I just have this little computer microphone in front of me right now. I didn't set up anything elaborate. I should be ashamed of myself. I have all this gear, but um, like I said, I don't actually have a physical studio right now. So the space to set it up in uh, is elusive at times. Yeah. But we'll see how this sounds. Uh, so um, I like to you know, do all sorts of different guitar styles. But one of my favorite things to do is just sort of mellow, folky finger-picking stuff. And uh, I mentioned one of my brothers earlier, when I was in high school, brought a, an album home by a British folk rock band called The Pentangle. And uh, they were actually almost more like a folk rock jazz group in some ways. Amazing musicians. You should look them up if you've never heard of them. And um, so one of the songs, the album that uh, he brought home was called Cruel Sister, which is the title of uh, an ancient ballad, uh, hundreds of years old. They started doing ballads uh, in sort of a modern, more rocked out style. And uh, this was on there. It's called Lord Franklin uh, or Lady Franklin's Lament. A little bit more of like uh, the Voyager history, if you think about it. So this is 1840. One of the holy grails of world exploration, one of the only things that had not been found yet besides Antarctica and how to get across that, was the Northwest Passage. People in Europe had been obsessed with finding a way to sail over the polar ice cap to get to China. They knew that it would if they could do it, it would save thousands of miles and months on the journey. So they were always looking for a way to get through the ice, and they basically never found it. Um, but um, with global warming happening now, uh, the Northwest Passage is actually open. <laughs> so it won't be long before they'll be able to do it. But Lord Franklin was a naval admiral who you know, was about 59, 60 years old, and he wanted his crowning achievement of his career to be finding the Northwest Passage. And the Royal Navy needed something to do. They were not at war. They needed an excuse for being. So they funded this expedition for him to find a way to get through the ice uh, between Greenland and Alaska. And uh, so they um, basically, he had, he had done some overland mapping expeditions and they knew where it was. And they figured, okay, we can sail halfway in and we'll get frozen into the ice in the middle of the winter. And then when it unfreezes the next summer, we'll sail out victorious. Well, they never saw him again. So, yeah. And Lady Franklin financed couple of different expeditions to uh, to look for them. Uh, but it's still called the Franklin Mystery. And uh, so this song, Bob Dylan used this tune for a song of his own called Bob Dylan's Dream. But the original song, Lady Franklin's Lament, goes like this.
to the frozen ocean in the month of May to seek a passage around the pole where we four seamen do sometimes go They mainly strove. The ship on mountains of ice was drove. Only the Eskimo in his skin canoe was the only one who ever came through. Very nice. Very nice. Nice job. Well, thank you, Zach. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, there's that's some of my favorite stuff to do, that kind of finger picking and uh, trying to do little lead melodies when possible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can definitely tell one of those genres that you really enjoy. You put a lot of emotion into it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. And, you know, there are so many different genres that I enjoy. Yeah. You know, it's all good. It's all good. In fact, you know, Chet Atkins one time was on the Prairie Home Companion show. Mm-hmm. And he did a song that uh, you would not have expected Chet Atkins to do. It was all, like from some rapper from the 80s or something, but he covered it. And he said, you know, you listen to uh, all the different genres of music. There's always something good to find somewhere. Totally agree. What do you want to see happen once COVID, once we're able to be out and about and not have to worry about social distance as much anymore? Where do you want to see your your music continue from that point on? Well, you know, I love to just play music for other people. I like to share my music with other people. The way I look at this is if people in the act of listening to me or watch me play somewhere, if they forget about things that are bothering them for a while, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I've done something good for the world. That's one reason I like to be able to share things with other people. The Really, the best way to do that is through a live venue. And, you know, people get out away from their house and they get out to a theater or, or a bar or whatever it is, they can just kind of let loose and just forget about life for a while. There's a great line in uh, Billy Joel, the piano man is, I know that it's me, they've been coming to see, to forget about life for a while. That's just a great line. And so, yeah, that's why I do this. And also, I just love playing music. So it's a win-win. You know, I get to play music and people people enjoy it. And here we go. 
Great way to look at it. We wind this down. Is there anything on your playlist of local musicians that you want to give a shout out to that you feel maybe should get some more recognition? Yasmin Bowers would be one. Um, so Bruce Bowers, who I mentioned from the Way Up North uh, band, mm-hmm. violin player, his daughter Yasmin, Y-A-Z-M-I-N, is just a really gifted pianist and singer and songwriter. She has uh, spent a lot of time in Cuba uh, doing, you know, you know, Cuban rhythms and things. And she does just wonderful music. And so Yasmin should be on the radar. Uh, Chance, Ed Willett and Cheryl Lea are other people that should be recognized as well. From uh, Lake Superior, Big Top, Chautauqua, uh, Randy Sabine is just an amazing player. Um, he's actually got, uh, you know, sort of some national name recognition. If you're familiar with uh, violin playing of Stefan Grappelli, I mean, he's he's our Stefan Grappelli up here. But uh, he does uh, great original music as well. Some of these people can be seen on Big Top Chautauqua has a, a YouTube channel and a Facebook live stream thing called the Tiny Tent Show. And uh, you can check them out. Some of the people that are on my Heartistry Music website, uh, Bentley Brame, wonderful uh, singer-songwriter, guitar player here in Ashland. And he's just, he could deserve some more recognition as well. One of my old music professors from college, Joel Glickman, a great uh, kind of Pete Seeger-style banjo player and has been writing a lot of songs. And I've done several recordings for for Joel. Frank Montano, Native American elder here from the... uh, Red Cliff Tribe, he, he makes flutes and and plays them. And uh, also, you know, just as a great guitar player and singer-songwriter, too, as well. So there are all these folks that uh, you can check out. There's a lot of talent in Wisconsin, and I'm glad that organizations out there trying to get these people's music out there and more recognized. You know, you don't have to go to some major music city to find good musicians. They're everywhere. That's right. You know, that's one interesting thing about the Internet is it has opened up the possibility to discover lots and lots of different things that otherwise would remain almost secret. (laughs) Right. So there we go. Those are some good ones to look up. There's all sorts of great stuff out there. Absolutely. I know you probably have tons and tons of more stories, but I am running out of time here. So as we finish this up. Is there a song that in your discography that you want to place as a song to play the podcast out? Sure. I tell you what, there's um, an album that I did with a couple of guitar playing buddies. It's called, well, uh, Indian Summer is the, the name of the group. And that should have been the name of the CD. We initially titled it Aftermath because we got together at a lake house had been built by a mathematician and he called it Aftermath. Uh, <laughs> We didn't realize that Aftermath was going to conjure up all sorts of horrible images of death metal and things like that. But, um, but we did um, a recording of uh, original music by each of the three of us, uh, two guitar playing buddies, like I said, one, uh, Gary Bolstad, who is in New Zealand as we speak. The other one is in Omaha, Nebraska. But we try to get together every year uh, and play guitars together. And uh, in 2003, when we first all three met. I took all of my recording gear in my Jeep Cherokee Sport over to this lake house outside of Walker, Minnesota, and started a recording. We didn't realize we were going to start a recording. It just kind of happened. And then it took us about two years to actually finish it and make it into a CD. Equal amount of original songs and instrumentals by each of us. And uh, one of mine on there is called uh, Back to That Time. Excellent. We'll play that at the very end. Well, like this. excellent. Tom, thank you so much for being on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So please, you know, keep up the good work here and I'll look forward to hearing more podcasts from you in the future. Here. All right. Thank you. Have a good night. Hey, you too. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye now. Thank Tom for coming and visiting with us on the Wisconsin Music Podcast. I would like to thank Nate Wyckoff of Frequency Farm Recordings. He is the composer of our podcast theme music i'd also like to thank dean bundy voice over intro talent also cwhiphop.com for syndicating the podcast on mondays at 4 p.m once again cwhiphop.com and ztf studio for sponsoring the wisconsin music podcast you can reach zach at 
ztfstudio.com for any of your professional level mixing and recording. So Tom, thanks again. And here is his song, Back to That Time. I wrote the song originally thinking about, uh, we had a college reunion in 1992 and my old bands got back together and I was just thinking about what a great time we had playing music together. In a fit of nostalgia, I wrote this song called I Want to Go Back to That Time. So there you go. It's such a lovely Saturday and spring has just begun. It's early, but I'm up and looking forward to some fun. The man there on the radio says the sun is gonna shine. The temperature's supposed to climb to 70 by 9. My wife and daughter have to go out for a three-hour chore. And I'll tell you exactly what it is I'm looking forward to I plan to take my guitar out and sit there in the shade With the birds all singing around me and the squirrels on parade And take my time just tinkering with tunes I'm working on Maybe start a new one too before they come back home But just before they leave she says before this morning's through there are just a couple of little things that I'd like you to do. It's time for yard work. Go do some yard work. Just pick up all the branches and move that pile of dirt. Give the pussy willows water. Hang this birdhouse on the wall. And pick up all the doggy droppings they've made since the fall. Take the broom and sweep out all the leaves in the garage Don't forget to fix that rain gauge, vacuum out the dodge Tune the old lawnmower up, the grass needs cutting too And afterwards, well, you can do the things you wanted to My basement here is getting kind of old I need the inspiration only fresh spring air can bring To stimulate my music and the songs I love to sing But even though I really try to get the chores all done And work all Friday afternoon before the weekend comes Just when I'm looking forward to some time when I can play my wife We'll get this thoughtful look and this is what she'll say It's time for yard work, let's do some yard work Build a fence around the compost heap but first go change your shirt Let's dig up that old bush out there, be sure to get it all And trim back that forsythia before it's nine feet tall Let's clean out all the gutters and repair the lantern light Trim the branches scratching on our window all last night And oh yes, sweetie, there's one thing that I forgot to say I've got this cold, my shoulder's sore and I can't help to start to ease when we begin that nine-hour ride and there's this little trout stream just a quarter hour away with lots of little 
rookies And I know just where they stay I've been tying flies all winter Waiting for this time of year But when my clock goes off at four She'll whisper in my ear It's time for yard work Let's do some yard work Let's exercise those muscles with some hard work We have to cut those trees that fell for firewood in the fall And straighten up the woodshed and then sweep and paint it all Let's winterize the roof and fix that broken window now So we won't have to do it when the rain is coming down And if you get the work all done, it's on this list right here let this thought be your comfort, you can always fish next year.